Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. We hope everyone has enjoyed some time with family and friends over the last few weeks and found some moments of quiet to enjoy as well. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Tuesday, December 27th. March corn closed up seven and three quarter cents at 6.74 even, and March soybeans closed up three and a half at 14.88. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have the man, the myth, the legend, Ever Egg's very own special advisor, Brian Rice. Brian, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Brett. Brian, for our listeners who aren't aware, what is your current role at EverAg, and what does a day in the life of Brian Rice look like? Yeah, you know, my title these days is Special Projects, and I'm also a member of the board of, of EverAg. You know, in a day in the life, it varies quite a bit, but, you know, the special projects, part of what I like about that, I get to do some wildcatting, which is just kind of looking and seeing what's out there, trying to see what's around the corner. And get to explore and shake bushes and stuff like that. I do some work on our insurance business still, which is, you know, it's only five years old and it's still growing and needs some kind of care that way too. Still help out with mergers and acquisitions as we, you know, we kind of continue to, to grow that way as well as a company. And then one of the other areas is carbon and ESG, which all the way up to the board level of our company is, is really important. Uh, it's, a, it's a serious focus for us. It's certainly a focus for us at Everag. It's a focus that you have spent a lot of time researching. And obviously, it's something that has gotten a lot of attention in the media lately. What carbon-related topics are you really honed in on right now? You know, a lot of it just has to do with we as a company are aggressively exploring what our role or roles can be to best serve our clients. We already have some exciting tools, uh, services. We've got amazing people in place. The team has been expanding in that regard, but we're really looking at which ways to expand it, you know? So one of my main focuses, the way I'm looking at it is how, how should Everag grow and invest here? And I'm a market guy first, so I view it through the lens of our industry's carbon balance sheet, you know, kind of the way you would view the grain markets, Britt. You know, I look at where are the longs and the shorts, you know, and I break it down also by compliance and voluntary. So you know, for example, our end user clients, which would be like CPGs, USRs, you know, they are shorts of the voluntary carbon market. Dairy farmers, they're longs of compliance carbon and they're potential longs of voluntary carbon. So I kind of start to sort it out that way and think about our clients and think about where their needs are going to be and where the puck could be going there and how can we, you know, serve that properly. You mentioned dairy producers being long carbon. More producers are starting to diversify their incomes by looking at carbon farming. What is carbon farming and how are U.S. producers able to capitalize on that opportunity? You know, I think carbon farming is it's just creating a, a measurable reduction in a way that's accepted by a specific rules-based system. So, you know, in the compliance markets, you've got LCFS in California or the D3 RINs at the federal level at the EPA. And then in voluntary markets, you've got like gold standard and VERA and different systems that are out there. The most common that we see by far right now in the dairy space is dairy farmers with methane digesters. They're large producers and they're selling carbon credits into the higher value compliance markets. 
in crop farming, you know, in your side of the world, it's more generating soil carbon credits that are sold off to the lower value voluntary carbon markets. Those are what we see the most of today. You mentioned, Brian, two types of carbon markets, compliance carbon markets. And there was another one that you mentioned as well. What is that and what is the difference? Yeah, so compliance markets would be, there's a mandate at a government level. So in the state of California, there's there's rules that say if you're a big emitter of carbon emissions, like say a power utility, you're capped at how much carbon you can emit. And you've got reporting standards and all that stuff. And if you can't reduce to that amount, you buy credits elsewhere. And because they're, you know, the buying of those credits is mandated by the government, they tend to be valued higher just because the demand is, is forced, if you will. So, you know, a lot of people don't, those LCFS, the low carbon fuel standard credits in California system, you know, those were trading as high as two to $200 a ton. They're down below a hundred now, but that's still trading much higher than the value of the voluntary carbon markets. Voluntary is, you know, it's the whole net zero initiative. There's thousands of companies around the world that have committed to net zero voluntarily. Uh, so that, that there's nobody mandating them to do it. They just believe they see customer demand. The customers are telling them to do it and they are committing to those reductions voluntarily. So the, the carbon credits that trade in the voluntary market tend to be trading at lower values than the ones in the compliance markets. You mentioned trading at specific values. Is there a centralized exchange of sorts for the pricing of carbon credits or, or how does that work? I mean, yes and no. It's, it, it, the voluntary world is not centralized, although all of the exchanges are getting into the game and they're trying to create a central hub. So it's a really interesting space. There's a lot of innovation happening, a lot of startup happening, but a lot of unique systems, a lot of unique marketplaces that are set up that are off exchange, unregulated, but then they're starting to connect to a lot of the major exchanges. CME has a, a vol voluntary carbon futures, different types of them. ICE exchange has them. Incubex is a, is a main one that really is innovative in that space as well. Are we seeing a lot of volume come to the come to those contracts? Uh, growing, as as you would think, and then you know it depends on where, what type we're talking about, but it, it's it's growing. Interesting. That's very interesting. Looking ahead, how are sustainable and carbon related issues likely to impact ag markets that touch our producers daily? You know, I had a little time to think about this one because you gave me the questions beforehand, <laughs> and. So the first thing I can't pass is the obvious, which is our physical reality we live in, right? So our Earth's atmosphere is carbon drenched at this point, and it's changing our climate down here on the ground. So we're all seeing it, rivers and reservoirs drying up in places that we would have predicted, you know, storms more severe, fires, et cetera. So the first thing in front of us is that impact, which as a market guy, I see an elevated risk of supply shocks you know, in the, in the couple of years in front of us here, you know, it's happening now, but as it relates to carbon market forces, you know, our, our derivatives that we're creating to try and address the underlying, I'm convinced for ag, you know, it's a massive opportunity for those that adapt and it's a serious hazard for those less able to adapt. I think in particular, the opportunity is to monetize the waste. Carbon emissions are a form of waste. And the analogy I like to look at within the dairy industry is whey. 
you know, up until the 1950s, 1960s, whey was a throwaway waste byproduct. It was dumped in the river. It was dumped on the fields, completely a waste product. But smart people figured out how to monetize that waste stream. And today it's crazy to think that that was thrown away, but it was. And today I would say you've got really smart people that are trying to figure out how to monetize the methane waste stream. It's energy. It's got value. So it's complicated. If it was easy, it would be done already, but it's a, it's a big opportunity. And I think, you know, we're seeing the people that are trying to move to figure it out. So on that front too, I would say, you know, the other prediction I would say within the next five years, I see a new form of voluntary carbon credit being generated off of enteric methane emissions from the cows. Doesn't exist today. It's like the second largest source of ag emissions in the U.S. That's cow burps and cow farts for anybody looking for a laugh on that stuff. But it, it's a big, within ag, it's a big source of, of emissions. And I think we're seeing a lot of interesting progress happening there. It's certainly a growing market and something that will continue to likely be a bit of a buzz, not just in the ag space, but as consumers, as you mentioned, demand some degree of accountability, if you will, from various companies. And so we're, we're thankful that smart guys like yourself are working uh, on behalf of EverAg and really on behalf of our clients to figure out you know, what, what type of opportunity exists for the American dairyman, the American crop producer, and, and capitalize on that. If producers are looking to learn more about carbon-related issues in agriculture, Where's a, a good or a couple of good sources where they can learn more, Brian? Yeah, Brett, I, I mean, I got a few of them. But first, like thematically, I would actually say try and look outside of ag is the one thing I would encourage people to do. And I say that because in the United States, ag is only 10% of the emissions. That means 90% of the emissions are happening elsewhere. The, the big game is outside of ag. And that means more money's being invested there. The rules are being written at and with those industries, but the markets are bigger, right? It takes me back to my days in the Florida CME and dairy markets were young. And the CME ag volume is like 5% of the total volume at the exchange. So when I was looking for innovation and financial instruments, I, I, I looked outside of ag. I would go to the interest rate markets and the equity markets and study what those guys were doing because there was just more money being thrown at the problems, more people trying to solve them. So it, it seemed a little myopic to me to, to just look for solutions inside the tiny sliver as opposed to the big game. And I, I think that's analogous to, to where we're at today with ag carbon. So it's helpful to look outside. The first place I tell people to look is sciencebasedtargets.org, SBT 1.5. Ag is in there, but you know that's where you see 5,000 companies around the world have committed to net zero. And all you do is look at the list, start with A's and you see Amazon and Apple. Okay. And you know, this is not an agricultural endeavor, but within that list is also McDonald's, Nestle, Domino's, Walmart. So the entire demand base is in there. It's an important space to look at and understand what's going on. And then another area, you know, I'd say is agfundernews.com. I don't own stock there or anything like that, but in, in my role of wildcatting, I get to look at what are startups doing. And in food and ag tech, they've got a great newsletter you can sign up for on their website. So all these startup companies in ag tech, food tech, a lot of them have a climate bent to them. 
so it's interesting to see how those startups are trying to innovate, trying to solve the problems. And last one, I would say, you know, just being a markets guy is Bloomberg Green. Bloomberg has a, you can sign up for their newsletter for free, bloomberg.com forward slash green. You know, so get a couple of those newsletters coming in at you regularly and you start to see the bigger picture. What is the world looking at? What nationally, what are we looking at? Those are, those are three spots outside of ag. I would encourage people to go look. Awesome. That's really helpful, Brian. We certainly appreciate you joining us today. It was a pleasure chatting and learning more about the carbon markets. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a review. Thank you to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show.